0: This podcast is a project of the Climate Designers Network. Hey, this is Eric. Thanks for tuning in to Climify. If you're a first time listener, welcome. If you're back for more, thank you. I truly appreciate it. In fact, going forward, I've decided to personally thank folks who send me nice messages or review the show over on Apple Podcast. So this week, I'd like to give a big thank you to Candy for her inspirational message she left as a review over on Apple Podcasts. So keep listening and doing good work in the world. That's my mantra. There's no point in giving up. There's too much to live for, and all your battles, no matter how small, matter when it comes to social progress and climate action. This week, we're focusing on the drawdown climate solution sectors of food, agriculture, and land use, in addition to buildings. On the program, we have Nisha Mary Paulos, an architect, urban planner, regenerative design advocate, and I'd like to add, philosopher. For three years, I've been thinking about regenerative farming and how the lessons of nature could help us design regeneratively as well. And I've read books, articles, and doodled out ideas, but no one has explained it as clearly as Nisha. I feel like I have so many ideas now. And I hope you are energized by Nisha's work and words today as much as I was.
1: Hi, I'm Nisha Mary Paulos. I'm an architect and regional planner from India. I work in regenerative design, nature-based infrastructure, bioregionalism, and related fields from a design, research, advocacy, and awareness perspectives. In India, I have I founded a small design practice called Woven Design Collaborative, which is mainly focused on design and research. And in the U.S., I am the executive director of Regenerative Rising, which is a nonprofit that focuses on elevating and forwarding principles of regeneration from both business leaders, as well as innovation in the field of uh, regeneration and everything related. The best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. You can type out my name. I'm there. RegenerativeRising.org is is our website. You can find me there as well, or you can find me at WovenDesignCollaborative.com. Nisha, welcome
0: to Climify. I'm happy to have you here. You're 12 hours ahead of me in India. So thank you for staying up a little later and joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me, Eric. I'm really excited for our conversation.
0: Me too. Yeah, I was, it was kind of luck that I found you on on LinkedIn where you want us to go to look for you. I think I just searched for the word regeneration on LinkedIn and you were one of like the top three people that showed up and I just kind of looked into you and I said, wait a second, (laughs) you have exactly what I want to talk about today. So, you know, I guess it was good karma or something that I found you.
1: I'm glad to hear that. I think I'm doing something right on LinkedIn.
0: (laughs) You are. are. Um, And you've had a really impressive career in the work that you're doing with Regenerative Rising. Woven Design Collaborative and and everything you've done before. And so I'm interested in, you know, where you started and how did you end up working in this area of regeneration?
1: It's been a, it's been a long journey. Uh, I I think my, I would say what has influenced me the most is the place I grew up in. I grew up in the Southwestern coast of India in a place called Kerala which is really green and it's it's actually one of the top 10 biodiversity hotspots in the world and wow. there was this abundance of nature which was always surrounding me and I at a very young age I was very deeply connected to nature which then after my high school I decided to do architecture and architecture is is really about building and that was while it was very interesting from a way, uh, from an innovation and creativity uh, points of view, I constantly found myself questioning the methodology because the idea behind architecture is that you build and to build, you've got to destroy. Um, oh, and yeah. so that's, you know, that that's many architects, actually, many architects who are interested in sustainability will you often hear them making the statement that I'm an architect, but I don't like to build because it's Mm. really, there's a lot of dissonance there because everything, there is no sustainable material. If you're using, using wood, you're cutting, Uh, and then you have to build on the land. Well, it's interesting
0: to me, just to interrupt you, just for a second that you came from such a green place and then you went into architecture. How did, how did that, what inspired you to go into architecture if you're, I thought maybe you'd gone uh, to biology or ecology, you know, what What excited you about it?
1: Oh, wow, that's an interesting question. Well, I think I was just, I was good at it. So in the sense, like, I, you know, you it depends on how your grades are at the end of high school. Oh, like, I see. I just, a little bit, it was directed by that and the the, the subjects that I was good at gave me an advantage in my architecture application. Plus I'm from a very building centric family, like my Uh, father, my grandfather, they're all- So your
0: family was very inspirational for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in construction sites. Like I used to go with my dad when uh, he went for site visits for his projects. So I had that, like I used to talk to masons and painters and like as a little child, me and my brother, we would do little experiments and build our own tiny houses. So that also had a little bit to do with it.
0: Yeah. So you started working in architecture after graduation?
1: Yeah. So it was in, so I really was seeking out green architecture and sustainable architecture and eco friendly architecture and sustainability. So this was, I started working in 2008. And at this time, sustainability was really just like gaining a lot of momentum. And very quickly, I realized that everybody was greenwashing. It was really hard to find someone who was really doing, you know, when you're saying green architecture, it's not just having water bodies everywhere, you know, or just lawns. And there was this intuitive dissonance that I was working with. And then, so it was, it was a little, so I was seeking this thing that I wanted to do. So I, I ended up working in architecture firms and landscape firms and ecological design firms. So I went into something which is more in like environmental planning. So that's like you're, you're planning for at an environmental scale and basically with land. So there's no not necessarily a built component or, or even if there is it's still with the land or a terrain and nature oriented way of looking at land first and then uh, what are you building on? Because so sometimes you're like, for example, if you want to build a wildlife sanctuary, um, build, uh, it's, it's, the build it's it's. Build is to uh,
0: destroy, right? That's that's a that's an awesome term. I never heard that before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So you know, I went from that to then I started working at a, and I started realizing I prefer the regional scale because your influence is more. And then I went. I did a master's in international cooperation in urban development. And I the other aspect to all of this, which, you know, as we speak more, we'll start like the, 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 the lack of equity, lack of justice and like social problems. And I'm coming from India where this is quite, we, we have really serious problems here. Mm-hmm. And these two are really interconnected. So for a while I even shifted from a social point of view, from a socio-ecological point of view, it was quite a journey. And then I suddenly, as my research sort of matured, I started getting more and more vocabulary for the words that I'm doing. And that's where I started realizing that there could be a way for us to live and utilize what we need. And uh, because we are part of nature. And then yeah. h- how do we do yeah. that? And one of the big realizations was that cities or any kind of human habitat, which I I like to use that term now instead of urban Mm. or city or house, like this is our habitat because we're also part of nature. Yeah, I like that. So one of the biggest realizations was that human habitats are mostly designed by engineers across the world. If you go to a town planning office, it's mostly run by architect. Architecture is a subset of engineering in a sense. So I went, engineers are doing it and solely doing it, it becomes very infrastructure heavy. I mean, hmm. uh, you're from Illinois, the The whole uh, the Chicago River is yeah. <laughs> in the flow and it's just this big engineering seat. But it's and, and for engineers, that's that's a big focus. So when engineers are running the city of infrastructure, so that's when I, I, I decided to start working from this angle where let's bring other people into the conversation, right? Let's bring ecologists, let's bring artists, let's bring economists, let's bring just somebody who's interested in learning about it or participating or interested in just being a part of the conversation into this work of designing human habitat at a city or a regional scale. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was how I entered this this current realm of my, uh, my career. Uh, I I was really then started talking to people from various fields and, you know, we need everybody to work together. Yeah. And so now what we, you know, with regenerative rising, we're really like trying to get people to talk to each other, you know, like everything is an industry today. Like there's, there's the agriculture industry and then there's the fashion industry, but none of these are, the term industry itself kind of, Needs to be questioned. Like, yeah, is agriculture really an industry? Should it be an industry? Is it not related to 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 the fashion? Because more uh, a lot of almost everything of fashion is coming from the land. Almost everything from the beauty industry is coming from the land. So, for the regenerative rising, it's now we're really expanding this conversation to get people to talk together, uh, and then you know become become one unit as as like a human family rather than like, you know, these silos that we've backed. Into. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like oppositional forces working against each other. And the the term industry to me, when you say that, I, it, it reminds me of your uh, past phrase where you say to build is to destroy. When I think about industry, I just think about destruction. It's like a very negative term for me to hear that word industry. I don't know if that's the same for you, but
1: no, absolutely. And it is really partly because of the history of what industry is, like the industrial revolution, which itself has really no happy stories at right. that time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it, there could be a positive way to have an industry. But as of today, the connotation is really rooted in the way it functions. And it's for most part negative. And it really it has brought us to this point where only a few are benefiting and, you know, though it's not though though it seems like it's not as bad as it was during the industrial civilization era, but it is. It's just that yeah. it's that bad in other parts of the world, maybe not in Europe, but in other parts of the world, it's still those same conditions of life. It is.
0: Yeah, I really resonate with your story in that I also was doing similar things like you, where I was searching for in my corporate America days, geez, what what can I do that's, we'll call it greener. I didn't know the word sustainable at the time. Like, how can I be greener? And there really, I couldn't find something that was. And I went to graduate school like you did. And what I learned was I'm going to have to do this on my own. That's what I took away from it, that there wasn't an answer. I had to start creating solutions and it involved working with other people just like you and so Mm -hmm. I really like your story because it's similar to mine and may probably many others that have gone along the same path
1: yeah that's that's really heartening because I I I really believe that's the only way that there has to be the self-discovery aspect Mm -hmm. to it because if you're just following some somebody else's path which is what you know like the corporate world tells you this exactly. is the hand you follow it so it's only when you question it so yeah i think uh, that's that's really great that you also had a similar sort of foray into this space
0: yeah yeah and i mean as an educator i think a lot of the students that i teach around sustainability they want to be told what the path is you know it's just easier but i think the the way that I'm, well they don't like this but i tell them hey you're going to have to Blaze your own trail sometimes, <laughs> and uh, having them hear your story, right, and others uh, will give them hope, right? Because you did it; <laughs> they can do it too. Yeah,
1: and I would say it's it's more more exciting this way. I mean, it feels like following the handbook is easier, but it's really not. It's when boring, talk. right? Yeah, it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well- it's so much more exciting when you're, when you're, because you make mistakes and I think the best, I think what you need to get friendly with is, use your mistakes and that, that's we, because when you're following somebody else's regulations, you're just like doing something and then yeah. at some point, sooner or later, it's just going to get disillusioning.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to talk about regenerative rising first, your organization It's also the name of your podcast, correct? You're also a podcaster. So welcome to the other side of the microphone. (laughs) Hope you're enjoying (laughs) it. It's less work, hopefully.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It it certainly is more fun to do this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, can you tell us a little bit about, about Regenerative Rising and what you do there?
1: Yeah, certainly. Regenerative Rising is a nonprofit. and the mission is to elevate and forward principles of regeneration. And we work with leaders in 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 both business and nonprofit worlds uh, to because it's not easy to be regenerative, especially in today's no. world. No. <laughs> I want to know how to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. So we 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 talk to people, we bring people together to share these experiences of what it means to be regenerative and our podcast is also that we work and and we have a focus on business leaders because they can make and they do make a big difference and it's not an easy path there has to be so much of path breaking and trailblazing and uh Working against the system in many ways, uh, overcoming a lot of challenges. So that's why we have a focus on the business community, because, you know, that's we want to be able to foster uh, a world where it's fine to do business. It's fine to make money, but there's a there's a way to be regenerative Mm -hmm. about it. And the idea behind regenerative rising is to bring people together. So we also do summits. And these summits are attended by people from various domains. People who are just curious, people who are experts. We have a lot of focus on diversity because there is no one truth. There's, there's many right, right. wisdom from different parts of the world. That's it's so from- true. Yeah. So that's the other focus. So And we're also a women-centric organization for the most part. Or oh, let me say uh we We embrace the feminine of it. I mean, no, not all genders are part of it, But the idea is to say, challenge the patriarchal system as well. yeah uh, because that's also a part of the problem. And so, yeah, so that's that's basically what regenerative rising does. And the when when we so a lot of the information on the website or on our in our summits and in our uh, podcasts, it's it's not just about us saying what is right. It's it's bringing and together information from different sources, from elevating voices from different communities from different backgrounds, and having this platform, which is an amalgamation of information and ideas and innovation, and building a community that breaks. Barriers and breaks down silos to work together because we have to embrace a living systems worldview and dismantle ways of linear thinking. Uh, Then we have to work together. So that's basically regenerative rising. And our 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 outputs are mainly the podcast and the summits at this point. But uh, through that, by experiencing these 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 elements, there's a a big journey that uh, people that we want to bring people together and like create momentum in the movement.
0: Right. I mean you're definitely working within the system to change the system. And yes. That 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 can be really effective. And how how do you how are you finding that going for you? Do you in your venues that you have, or your events that you have in your podcast, how, what's been like the, the response so far?
1: Our events are very uh, well attended and uh, it's, we have people reaching back to us saying how much they enjoyed it and asking for more. And I think it's because of the fact that there's so many people are coming together with, with open hearts to embrace a regenerative lifestyle. A regenerative mindset, and uh, that is the biggest win as far as we're concerned. When when the people who we are trying to bring together are embracing uh, the journey of coming yeah. together, so it's it's been uh, the organization is doing really well. Of course, over the last uh, three years, it had to go into an online mode because right. as part of the global situation that yeah. we all. But that too, like, so we have a, a Women Leading Regeneration Summit every alternate year. And then we have a Regenerative Earth Summit every year. And this year we want to have a, a another summit as well, just to, just to bring it back into the physical space uh, and yeah. bringing people together. Because that energy is really irreplaceable.
0: It is. Yeah. I mean, just from a teaching perspective, the energy online versus teaching in a classroom is night and day. I mean, it's it's so much better in person.
1: I imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even I think even as as for students, I would imagine oh, there's so same. much more Yeah. I think the they can absorbed. be
0: lazier when it's on, on online because they can just roll out of bed and turn on <laughs> <laughs> turn on their computer. But well I discovered re- the term regenerative and regenerative farming three years ago, and I've been really fascinated by it ever since. And in particular, I've been trying to figure out how I can apply that to the work I do in design, and I'm, I'm really struggling with it, and I'm wondering if you can help me and help everyone that's listening. And first of all, how do you define regenerative at your organization, and how do you think a designer can become more involved in that?
1: So regeneration is i mean regeneration is a natural process right like the cells in your body regenerate like the the first time i've heard the term regenerate in my life is that i knew that the liver is an organ that can regenerate right so oh, yes, like yes right so we we know this word and it's a part of nature regeneration like like i was saying every cell every living cell is capable of regeneration at some mm-hmm. in some way Ecosystems regenerate, rivers regenerate, communities can regenerate. So when we are saying regeneration, basically that involves allowing something to come back to its full and complete potential and functionality, because it is not to reverse something and make it what it used to be, because that's not how nature works. Nature adapts, it changes but it comes back to a state of being able to function in the way it can function. So mm-hmm. it may not may not be, so the conservation and restoration are the words that you're using when you're trying to uh, bring it back to an original state right. and just in many ways, part of regeneration, because as humans, these are the ways in which we're interacting with it. But regeneration itself is a natural process. So, when we're we don't, saying, we don't have to be
0: involved, then for it to work.
1: Well, I think if we if we look at what happened in the world uh, across the globe during the pandemic, when all the human beings locked themselves up, right? Dolphins started returning. I was going to say the dolphins started, in
0: Venice, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and it was everywhere. Right, the mm-hmm. air just instantly cleaned up. There were butterflies uh, out there, and you were, and you're just like, I didn't even know that these these birds were even living in this area. We should so, just stay in
0: bed and let the let the world heal itself.
1: <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, we can't because we're part of this planet. But and I think retro. for me, regeneration. What can we do as human beings? Well, one is to understand that we're part of the system. We're also a natural being. Which has a role and a purpose on this planet from a natural point of view, and I think in the regeneration movement, what we have to do is to go back to let to a few years behind when we it, we weren't as human beings, we weren't always like this either. It, this is the last 200 years to 250 years that Rest. this accelerated way of extraction took place, right? So. It's a interesting way of uh, looking at the world. So when we're talking about the sustainability movement, right? Like the word sustain talks of what do we have to do so that the way life is today can be sustained? That's what the sustainability movement was about. Correct. But at some point we started realizing that's not enough, like, no, because it is today is not enough. It's not enough for the next generation or the generation after that. So that's why regeneration, because now we need to do more. It's not just enough Mm -hmm. to stop destroying. We also need to do our part in changing systems. And that change begins with human systems. So the first thing we need to do is not to go and try and revive the ecology of a river. Of course, it's necessary. I'm not saying that that's not part of it, but it's, it's not the first thing to do. The first thing starts in your mind, like, is to question... How can you live? How can you do things in a way that is more attuned to nature mm-hmm. uh, or to the natural system? And it's very contextual, right? So what being part of a natural habitat in Illinois is different from being like that where I am here in India, because yeah. the ecosystem is different, the terrain is different, the, the climate is different. So it's very contextual what it means. But Regeneration at its core, it means that you have to, in many ways, let things be. You have to understand that nature is a collaborator. We're not yeah, ruler over it, which is which is a problem with colonial systems that the idea was like all of this is for us to reign over and use as we please, right? But regeneration talks about we are one species in this ecosystem. And how do we play our part? We have a part to play. And as far as design comes, a good starting point is to look at indigenous systems of that land. And it's, it's, it's really enlightening to see that there was a way that people lived. And it's not that indigenous communities were just, you know, sequestered away and not interacting with nature. In fact, they were interacting very much more than us. Every day every day, right? And there was so much back and forth. So if nature is your collaborator in life itself, like, oh, okay, today is this kind of a day. So maybe we behave differently today. So, you know, we have to connect back to, we were talking about living with a handbook. It's not possible because it's not possible to write out these are the 10 things that you have to do to be regenerative. We have to really start with observing and understanding how every action has impact Mm. and how that impact can affect the whole world. Because living systems, living systems are interconnected. Living systems don't act in isolation. So there's a system within a system within a system and they're all interconnected. So a duck, which is living in Canada, has a big role to play in the whole world because they migrate right yeah it's uh, like the butterfly like
0: that. effect correct that they talk yeah, about all exactly. the
1: time yeah exactly exactly so we too have to realize our actions have impact and have a butterfly effect and in in fact it's not a butterfly effect it's multiple butterfly effects right so that's yeah. again we need to deviate from linear thinking by thinking like okay i need to do I, we need to reduce carbon so that's and then everybody's doing everything to reduce carbon but what else are you doing in the process of reducing mm-hmm. carbon right? Because your solution should not be leading to other problems. Yes, one solution should be solving multiple problems. And each of those, you know, there should be sub solutions which are solving other problems. So it's like a nexus of solutioning rather than one solution creating a hundred other problems and then somebody trying to solve each of those problems, which is the linear way. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is very pervasive in in the current system it world. Is.
0: You know, it's how we teach design too, and and that's a problem.
1: Yeah. So it, so the good question to start asking is like, all right, you solve this problem, but in the ten steps that you took, in each of the steps, what happens to the living systems, uh, directly and indirectly connected to? So just thinking about these things will, and it's it's almost like those neurons need to start connecting. And once it starts lighting up, then that's the only way you can think after that, you know. And that's what has happened to us as a population. We, as as a species, we have lost that connect, that we have forgotten that, that there was a way to think like that. And we yeah. historically did, all of us. So regeneration really starts in your mind with observing what is going on. How does, how does like, nature solve problems? Right. And how are we solving problems? And when we are doing something with the greatest intentions, does every step, what are the problems it solves? And and it's not to say that we will have a footprint. I don't agree with the fact that there can be a zero footprint. Right. It's not possible. Me
0: too. I'm totally, footprint. yeah. Yeah. And it's also like a, well, it's an impossibility. And then, it, then it's like, uh, you're always defeating yourself and you don't, celebrate the successes that you have because, oh, shoot, I had a footprint there, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a lovely way of thinking, yeah, because oh. we lived here. We lived on this planet for, I don't know, 60 to 80 years for per individual, for most part.
0: Yeah, well, so, you bring up an important point there in that I talked to a paleoecologist last season about thinking in longer timescales. And we have done this before. I get in an argument with a friend of mine, he's a business guy. And we have this argument ser- seriously like every year. And it's like, I talk about these things like we're talking about on today's episode. And he's like, well, how are you gonna do it? It's capitalism, right? How are you gonna solve it? And the answer is like, you're thinking not in a long enough time scale, because we've done it before, right? And other cultures, indigenous cultures have done it before. It's a mindset that you have to change, and I think my neurons were blowing up while you were talking because it gave me some more answers that I've been searching for. So thank you for that. And, and oh, mindset excellent. is the first thing, right? Observing nature. I t- I was at a lecture once with an indigenous artist, and he says, "My artistic practice is I collaborate with plants," and that wow. was just like boom. I I do too. I make handmade paper and it's out of agricultural byproducts. And I said, "Wait a second. These are my friends. These are helping me get to, you know, what I'm doing in my creative practice." So, I that was a mindset shift that I think was really helpful for me. So, thank you for that because I think that's the first step really it is.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, nature is like there to provide and it's it also comes down to to an abundance mindset, right? So when we're thinking, "Oh my God, we have this, whatever, thirty years to work, and I have to do the maximum for my own benefit," it's also coming from a lack mindset, yes. Because you're feeling like if today I don't make the maximum money I can make today, which at which comes at all costs, like forget nature, forget other people, forget exactly. Other but when you look at it, like doesn't if if you. If you flip it into thinking there's enough for me. There's enough for the 7 billion people on the planet. I I only need to take enough for me for today. Um, and while that sounds very spiritual and whatnot, it's also really uh, about, you know, slowing down and enjoying life because, you know, these are these are cliches that we speak about that how money is not bringing happiness and whatnot. But really, what are you making? The cap- because the capitalism argument is the most common argument.
0: Exactly. It is all the time.
1: Yeah. And and to me at this point, it's, it's, it's such a redundant argument because the other day I was talking to someone and, they, and I was talking to them about cars, right? Like how now there's this big revolution to switch to electric vehicles. But electric vehicles only solve one problem. It mm-hmm. solves a problem of pollution. It does not even solve the problem of fossil fuels, because for most part, the electricity that is generated is generated using fossil
0: fuels. No coal, cold, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you gotta change so that part when, of the system too.
1: Exactly, and so then the, the, the next answer to that is, uh, well, hydrogen or whatever, right? So, but that's not the answer either, because the problem with cars is more than all that. The problem with cars is the amount of space that it occupies, which means you need to build infrastructure, and when you start building infrastructure, you're destroying, and it's huge infrastructure for one human being exactly. to traverse the path. It takes up so much space, and then the bigger problems are things like you're you're. It's a great way to insulate yourself from reality around you, right? So you can drive through like toxic waste, you can drive through garbage dump, you can you can drive through thick forests if you have whatever those huge jeeps, um, but nothing is affecting you nothing you roll up your windows you switch on your air you don't have to smell what's outside you don't, and yeah. it's a great way to insulate yourself but if you had to walk you would think differently if you yeah. had to walk through a place that is toxic that would matter to you right so that's how it relates back to inequity as well so i'm bringing this example up because it's it's really a great example of how we need to break away from linear thinking and you know and and with cars, there's this this famous argument that, like cars are fueling the economy because, like if the car industry dies, all these people will lose jobs. well, they will we need people to have regenerative jobs. We need to have pe we need people. We need ourselves to work in industries that are fulfilling, that are that are serving our purpose on the planet as as a species mm-hmm. uh, and not just another cog in the in the machinery of. Uh, Whatever is a byproduct of the industrial revolution.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I'm thinking now about the messaging, right? Because in the U.S. and I'm sure in other countries, in India, for example, like the term sustainability, we're hearing it. I've been hearing it, you know, twenty years, right? But mainstream, right? In the past five or six years, probably it's become a lot more of a common phrase. Businesses are talking about their sustainability initiatives, right? It's not good enough. Like you said, we need to do more. And now, you know, the term regenerative is becoming a little bit more well-known, hopefully more. How do we make it more mainstream, especially when we have to tell people, you know, that term sustainability? Well, guess what? <laughs> not anymore. We need to do more. And I, I just know. A lot of people will be like, oh, gosh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just another thing, right? Another phase, another trend. How do we move past that? Because, I mean, obviously we can point to the climate, but yeah. I'm a practical person and I, I, I'm i wondering how we can move past some of our failures in messaging in the past here.
1: I think the answer that comes to me, I think it's the focus on the word. Right. So just, I think when a word is just the word is mainstreamed, but not the thoughts and the actions that make up that word. Right. Yeah. So, with, in fact, it's the sustainability term itself, it actually talks of social, ecological, and economic. So that's the definition of, but for most part, it just reduced to like, oh, let's use paper cups, you know?
0: Right, right. No more plastic straws, please.
1: Yeah. So, so that's it's, it's great. Fine. Let's do that. But the idea, I would think, for regeneration is not to, not to look at changing the world, you know, as an entity. It's to look at your immediate environment. I think yeah. that that focus needs to be. Let's, which I think also solves some of the climate anxiety that people are facing today. Because it's it's, this, we we can't do as individuals. We cannot change the fact that the Arctic is melting, right? The ice is melting. Like we can sit and worry about it, but we can't solve that problem as individuals. We can't even solve it as communities. We need. It's a global problem, and we even then don't know if we can solve it. But what we can do is. Like I was saying before, like start with your mind and expand to your sphere of influence. Like what can you do that is, and, and just keep questioning, keep answering the question, each step, what is my impact? You know, and not to say that that needs to paralyze you into not being able to do anything because whatever you buy, it has some packaging. Well, Oh, you, know, you don't want to do physical summits, but then you're doing virtual summits. But that has a huge carbon fr- footprint yeah. too. It generates yeah. heat and consumes energy and like forests are being destroyed. So balance is the other word, right? So even where it's not one answer for the whole world, like right. the whole world did not switch to solar. We need to do solar in pockets. We need to do other forms of energy as well. And we need to have a balance and we don't need to like, uh, completely s- switch in this drastic way so i think balance is a second word to understand that when the whole world decides to go vegan or when the whole world decides to switch to uh, wind farms or you know wind generated electricity then the impact problem is not so instead of a forest being destroyed to rare cattle or forest being destroyed to build roads, forests are being destroyed to put solar panels, right? So I think that balance is important. And you look around, okay, where can I, what works here? Like if if it is a place where there's a lot of sun, okay, maybe solar energy works, but if it's it's another place and, and then you're also, balance also includes consumption. And we, I really, I truly believe we don't need to go into like, denying ourselves of all the comforts of life. right? We are using Can't take ourselves. a hot
0: shower anymore. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to go into that. That's no one would right. buy into that. Exactly. And that's why it's a lot of the environmental movement has failed because it was too extreme, but balance is needed in our actions, in how much we uh, do for ourselves. You just have to think things through. And the third, third very important thing that I want to bring up is local. And especially in what we eat and what we consume, uh, the idea of local is really important. And, okay. and that goes to knowledge. Like what is local knowledge, right? So it, it really matters. Like everybody talks about, you know, like, okay, let's almond milk. Now, if almonds are growing in your region, almond milk is a great source. But if coconuts are growing in your region, then that's a better source for you. But if the whole world wants to have coconut milk, then we're still, again, going to be having the same problem and the same of
0: problems. Yeah, yeah.
1: And like where I come from, like here in India, we have a medical, ancient medical science called Ayurveda, and one of the things that Ayurveda talks about is. Your diet, your diet is really important. And a lot of what they prescribe is very local. Uh, And that's important. Food is medicine, right? Yeah, food is medicine. And what you're eating, if it comes from the local region, from the local climate, it benefits your body better because Mm -hmm. the food that's produced in a particular climate and ecology is good to be consumed by the people and the animals who live in that ecology, right? Uh, and it's better for your own health. So the third word is 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 local. And sometimes it's not possible, of course, we may have to do, and it's fine. It's just that how much of it can we do locally and yeah. finding yeah. again that balance in that? Well, this
0: makes me think about that idea of healing and that changing your mindset. Most of us are, think, are, in, are in our own head all the time and we're thinking about our ourselves and what we're going to do. And changing your mindset, for a regenerative approach to life is, is healing yourself too, right? And I think people could buy into that. I mean, I found meditation probably five years ago or more. I can't remember, but I feel like that has helped heal a lot of my anxiety about everything. I do get anxious. Not sure how this all started for me, but it, it is the case. And that sort of healing has led to like more focus and more awareness. and And I think people can buy into that because that's like like you said, the first step to this yeah. to this word regenerative
1: absolutely. healing and well-being. if we actually if we just truly if we only focus on one thing, well-being of the self, mm. I would think it will take you a long way because then, if you really care about your own healing and well-being, then you have to eat what's good for you. You have to do things that's good, because and you have to have as as you were uh, saying, you need to have the longer timeline yeah. in in place. Like it's not enough to be well today; you need to be well till the end of our life. And and all of us, I know, in our lifetime, we have seen the degeneration happening. We have seen. I mean, I remember a time that I could drink milk that was produced by the cow next door. And we just boil it on our stove and we drink it. And now milk is coming in cartons from Germany. I'm just like, there are so many thousands (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that global economy thing. Yeah, but when it it is the guy, the cow next door, I could see with my own eyes what that cow was eating, how the cow was living. Did, did the cow have a disease? It was right. so am I my... drinking
0: that milk, that cow? Right. Yeah. 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 No, so, I, I, um, I feel that too. That's I, I appreciate the local. And uh,
1: yeah,
0: it's only because I think I paid attention, right? And paid attention was through me feeling more aware. And that was again part of that healing process that I was going through. So thank you. That that makes a whole lot, it's connecting a whole lot of thoughts that I had before.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah really. I, I agree with you. The healing is, and, it, and the, the beauty of meditation is that you take 20 minutes at least, and then you focus on yourself and and it solves a lot of these other problems, like yeah. maybe pursuing wrong things and then you slow down and that, that, that helps the planet if you slow down a little bit. Yeah. Um, so and think. also yeah and and it also gives you this understanding of priority and the connection to self because as natural beings we already know intuitively that we are connected but you know we've just like suppressed that connection completely yeah. so that's why even something like meditation is a really important part of of the entire movement actually to to focus on your mind and your body and and, and, and look to self for healing.
0: Well, I'm wondering, because, uh, I know I've been on this kind of quest to learn more about this topic, uh, about what you feel as some success stories, maybe they're, maybe they're from your work or from other work, or maybe some, some of the favorite outcomes that you've been involved with and, and from the lens of regenerative.
1: So. I think uh, the, the, the fact that uh, there are more and more people who are asking these questions, who are interested in, in, in having these conversations. And, and this is even in, a reg, in, in in regular life, right when I remember a time in my own life, my own journey, my adult life, where you speak about this, anything to do with the environment, and you're just shunned because you're the enemy. Mm. I think there's a big change there, Of course, there are still a lot of people who who, oh yeah, well don't believe in it or pretend to not believe in it. I don't know how you cannot believe in it when it's in our faces like this. so I think at this I point know. there's a lot of ego like that was my stance. Why did you continue that? Yeah, I think
0: there's like I call it the cult of being right. like you just have to yeah. be right, you know, yeah, and if you're totally yeah. wrong,
1: wrong, yeah. <laughs> So while all that is going on, but the but but you could still you can still have that conversation. I feel, and that there are two wins in that. One is the fact that the other has changed a little bit and maybe it has become more open. But I think it's also for me. I feel like it's me. I have the way I deliver my message or or my point in a in a in a discussion has changed. And I think that makes a difference. And and I think that's the biggest difference between the the environmental movement of the seventies and the eighties because people were talking about this back then, right? But it was so the the it was so separated from mainstream life that it uh it it felt like, you know, because the term eco-terrorist was so common, right. like people or anybody who was protesting, anyone who's but today it's not the case. Like there are children protesting across the world. And yeah uh, it's 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 kind of become accepted at least much more. So that to me is a is a big win though in whichever small way, in small parts of it I was involved in the movement. And to see that evolution is has been really sort of uh wonderful and the other uh, well for me the other uh, i've i've done quite a bit of research and work in uh, in bioregionalism and bioregionalism is a new way of looking at geography because we have as of now i mean we have physical ecological terrain and then we have political boundaries right this is the two main right. types of geography that we're looking at bioregionalism goes beyond that and it looks at Human beings as a historical, cultural part of nature, and then looking at what are the natural boundaries that a community forms, and it includes ecology, but it includes culture as well. And I'm seeing those conversations, the discovery of that for myself—not the discovery of the of the term itself, but for my foray into that topic has been life-changing in a way Hmm. because it helps explain some things uh, better. And it also gives a tool for governance systems. It gives a tool for how we look at influence, right? And impact. So when we were talking about footprint and we were talking about what what the butterfly effect and how we can't control the whole world, but we can control our sphere of influence. And to me, that bioregion, is kind of uh relating to that sphere and that's also and i'm mentioning that because it's also an interesting thing for everyone to do like to just see what is your bioregion like what are the and and, it, and it's not a very hard and fast boundary right it's it's a it's a bit fluid and depending on the research uh it's it's uh subjective to that person's uh, research so that that journey was to me a big win because it changed the way I look at things. It changes the way I speak about things. It changes the way I understand my influence and impact as a being on in, in this environment.
0: Yeah. I think it, I mean, people need to have more of an open mind, right. And, and, and look (laughs) and and listen and not just talk, hear themselves talk.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Sorry. That's like a, that's a whole other thing, right? A little
1: rant. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: Well, what's next for your work? Like, at what point will you say your work is successful? We're a regenerative culture now, <laughs> right?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. That's, yeah. That's just no question.
0: Little philosophy here.
1: I think I don't know whether we can achieve that. Uh, in, in, I don't, I don't know whether we can achieve that or not. I mean, because some, sometimes these things are like, it, it really might just happen. And, you know, we could be at that limiting point of friction and then it changes. So I don't know whether it'll happen or not, but success to me is if I could work in small areas and if city governments decide to take a more regenerative approach and open themselves up to disciplinary collaboration with, and like honest, honest conversation with the people of that region that have been marginalized for various reasons. Hmm. uh, I think that that would make a difference. And to me, if there's one city, a, 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 not even a city, let's say a bioregion somewhere in this world where the change is that, of course there are bioregions in the world where thankfully there hasn't been as much disruptive experience. So that's not an achievement to us or maybe it is that we've not gone there and disrupted it, but that's what what is already there. But to take a degenerated place and see how we can, Bring it back and and that's to me the scale that would that I can uh, look to and even measure or understand yeah. uh, that it is a success or a failure and the indicator would be both um, biodiversity would be one indicator like native biodiversity and the other is really the quality of life as human beings and justice as yeah. a social justice. These are the two yeah. indicators.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I wish that for you. I hope that that Thank happens. You. Thank you. Well, we're running out of time and we're headed to my last and favorite question that I ask everyone. And you're an architect, so you've been in the design uh, curriculum before. And this question's about um, stepping into the educator's shoes. And if you were asked to teach a design class or a design project, what would you do? Uh, how would you design that class or project around the work that you do?
1: Oh, well, uh, I like that question. Mm. <laughs> Me so, too. My favorite one. <laughs> I think, I think I would design it about uh, understanding what whole systems means at a global scale, but also at an individual scale like and interacting with whole systems is is a learned skill. Well, it's a forgo- we've we've forgotten it. It was innate, but it seems to be not there anymore for most part. But yeah. it can be a learned skill. So I would certainly design the 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 session or the program around how do we look at whole systems to solve a problem now, whether it's a product or a system or you know something intangible that the design is the deliverable of the design program is everything can have a whole systems world uh, worldview, and that is to say that every action has a lot of impact and influence.
0: Yeah.
1: How do we how do we make it circular? Like we're not just like leaving our impact and going away, but then each of our there would be some negative impact or a negative output of every step, but how do we solve that, but link it back to the main system, right? Hmm. So I would design a course around, uh, or maybe a workshop, uh, around how would you look at any problem and come up with a whole system solution with human beings as part of the system, as an integral part of the system.
0: We're on the same wavelength totally because that's, That's what I'm exploring and and working on. I have been working on for the past two, two or three years. And uh, I love it. I love it.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. We
0: we definitely need to connect on that because. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would love to be part of that class.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, maybe you will. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much, Nisha. This has been really wonderful. Uh, I've been really struggling with this term regenerative and you've given me a lot of Good things to act upon, so that's really important to me. so thank you for that.
1: Thank you, Eric. It was a very enjoyable conversation, and uh, thanks for organizing it and for patiently listening through no no it's, <laughs> it's been long, been, long been, drawn fun. Explanations.
0: been fun. Where can we find you online again?
1: You can look me up on LinkedIn. That's the best place to reach me. And it's just uh, my I name. Found you.
0: That's how I find yeah. you.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm very active on LinkedIn and uh, Regenerative Rising is uh, can be found at their website regenerativerising.org. And uh, yeah, we're always happy to have conversations with anybody who wants to engage or interact with us. And uh, because that's a big part of the process. That's
0: your, that's your mission to connect and have
1: conversations. Absolutely, yes, yes. We welcome any kind of conversation.
0: Well, thank you for today. And I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you.
1: Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me.
0: Sure. Climify is produced, edited, and engineered by me. A huge special thanks this season to Ellen Keith Shaw and Christine Pilot for their gorgeous work on our new branding. Batul Rashid and Mark O'Brien for their continued design help, Bianca Sandico as our new podcast manager, and Brandy Nichols and Michelle Wynn for their strategic guidance and always supporting me on helping to improve the offerings of this podcast. If you enjoy the work we all do here and you have a spare minute or two, we would truly appreciate it if you left a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. The more folks that review our program, The higher the algorithm pushes up Climify in the search results, and in turn, the more likely we all can learn how to become climate designers.